We're all missing travel right now, but you know what else we're missing? Getting more. With Priceline, you can save up to 60% on your favorite hotels, and you can also get exclusive deals on car rentals and flights. And when you save more, you can do more. More, wow, mmm, and yes! Priceline knows that every trip is a big deal. So when you're ready to book your next one, visit Priceline.com for the easiest way to get more out of it. And don't forget to download the Priceline app for even more savings. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 63 of the That's So Mets podcast. We got a fun show for you today because we are going to do a little stay or go with the Mets external, well, internal free agents and some guys that aren't even expected to hit free agency, but more so could be on the trading block. Guys like J.D. Davis, uh, Jeff McNeil, Dom Smith. So Joe and I have a really fun rundown planned for you. And as always, we're going to get into the mailbag as well and answer some of your questions. But before we do anything, episode 63, Thomas Zapucky, only one of four people who have ever worn number 63 in Mets history, not a popular number as we get through the dog days of the numbers. Joe, let's bring you in uh, to give the two cents on Thomas Zapucky, infamous number 63. Yeah, Zapucky is a guy that at this point, He's probably a reliever, maybe a multi-inning reliever if you want to push it there. But he just has struggled to stay out of the doctor's office, and he's had his fair share of injuries. And he had the uh, nerve transposition surgery or whatever it is that DeGrom had a couple years ago. Uh, so he'll be coming back from that. It'll be very interesting to see kind of how the Mets opt to push him this coming spring. But I envision him getting shifted to the bullpen in no time yeah not you know huge expectations there uh for Zapucky in the Mets system and you know before we get into the stay or go part of the show of course we're going to stay on top of the Mets search for a president of baseball operations since the last time we talked to you and something we had kind of braced ourselves for not that we're very upset but Theo Epstein Epstein and uh, Steve Cohen, you know, kind of going the interesting route of neither side <laughs> wanting that to happen. So Theo is officially out uh, of the candidate list. They did meet. Uh, we do not think that he had any interest in this job or really any nitty gritty baseball day to day operation job as he looks to probably get involved with an ownership group. And the Mets probably sensing that, probably realizing that he is just not the right fit as well. So a very neutral, um, you know, announcement kind of leaked from each side that he will be out. Joe, no surprise here, right, as this kind of turns fully towards Billy Bean, which who it has been fully turned towards for quite some time. And, of course, David Stearns, who we will not know anything about until the Mets either make an alternate hire or the Milwaukee Brewers are eliminated from the postseason. So what's your latest thoughts on this situation? So Theo Epstein being out is obviously not a surprise at all. Uh, I think if you see Theo involved in a baseball team again, it'll be kind of like a Derek Jeter type of role where he's like a CEO who's not really involved in the day to day and has a minority uh, ownership share. I could see, you know, if a team ends up in Nashville, I know that's certainly a rumor, perhaps even Montreal. Uh, as Tampa Bay might be splitting some time there, I could see Epstein getting involved in a group like that. Um, but as far as the other candidates go, uh, I think David Stearns is the Mets' preference. And uh, I think they're going to wait to do anything until they're able to speak to him or find out that they're not able to speak to him. And at that point, I think they would go towards Billy Bean and you know who remains to be seen how interested he is. I know that he that company that he's a part of, some SPAC company, I don't even exactly know what it is, um, but they're merging with SeatGeek. So Billy Bean has some off the off the field things that he's looking at. So I don't know how interested he's going to be in getting back into the nitty gritty. So it's going to be an eventful couple weeks here 
uh, once the Brewers get eliminated, which could be as soon as shortly after this recording. Uh, they're down 2-1 to Atlanta. Um, I'm interested to see if the Mets really push there. I know uh, Andy Martino said uh, on Shea Anything podcast with SNY that they're starting to get some feelings that maybe Stearns does have some interest here. Um, the owner of the Brewers could, could certainly block it. But if he if Stearns goes to the owner and says he really wants the Mets job, um, I imagine they could work out some level of compensation. Uh, the Francisco Alvarez stuff is a joke, so I'm not really going to get too into that. But maybe there's some lower level something that, you know, feels like they got something for him and, you know, the Mets can move forward with Stearns. But I'm not feeling comfortable that Stearns or Bean will happen right now. And the next name on the list might be Josh Burns, who's the senior vice president with the Dodgers, comes from a player development and draft background. So, you know, that's kind of right up my alley. I'd love to see the Mets at the top focusing on player development, draft, develop, make your own stars. And then you have Steve Cohen's wallet on the side, and that's where you supplement those players with the stars or whoever you need to spend money on in free agency. Yeah, it all makes sense, right? When you look at this, that if they were able to somehow get Stearns, you know, it's it would be unprecedented to send somebody like Alvarez. That's not happening, nor should it. And it would be, you know, a big haul. It would be the home run hire that we all think or are hoping for. And, you know, there's no guarantee. It's far from a guarantee. It feels like a long shot. It's felt like a long shot for a long time. But, man, that would be, that would be pretty exciting. So we're going to be all over that. And that, once again, we say this every show, but – if something moves fast, and these things often do because all this stuff goes on behind the scenes uh, with executive hires in, in pretty much all of sports, and it all comes together very quickly, we'll be on the YouTube channel to react to that and, and have the longer form ramification conversation of it on the podcast. So let's get into what the pod is for, and that is the long conversation on what players that wore a Mets uniform this year we want to see stay or go with the team next year. And I think you got to start this conversation with Marcus Stroman. And it's, you know, it's one where you and I have honestly been all over the place, I think. I think for a long time, you and I kept saying, you know, make sure Stro is here long term when it seemed like the market was reasonable. And I have kind of felt this coming for about a month now. It's been building up, if you've heard my tone on the show. There is part of me that thinks you do need to draw a hard line in the sand with Stroman, and I think that line might be nowhere near the rumors we're seeing. I, I, you know, I hate to say a guy isn't a certain player, right? Like a guy isn't a $100 million player, because to another team he might be, and great for him. If somebody gives Marcus Stroman a $100 million deal for the Mets, which is what this show is about, the Mets, even with Steve Cohen's wallet, cannot be, you know, spend like drunken sailors or just be stupid and reckless. And I think that they, when they make these investments, you can't blink and in four years have a bunch of 35-year-olds making 25 to $30 million. I think you have to be selective with how you do that. Now, if Marcus Stroman stays here on a four-year, $75 million deal, $80 million deal, okay, that's fine. If he wants to be making, you know, $25 million a year and wants the term to be over four years, wants it to be five years, 31-year-old pitcher, I know everybody's big argument for Stroman is he stayed healthy, but there's the part of me that goes, well... <laughs> That can always, you know, that can change. You just never know with pitchers, especially uh, smaller athletes in general. And I like Marcus Stroman. I've really enjoyed watching him pitch for the Mets. I do hope he's in a Mets uniform next year. But I, I think for me, Joe, this is a go because I have kind of accepted that he is going to get a five-year deal north of $100 million from a team. And I think the Mets should be more creative of how to fill their pitching staff in a different way than doing that deal. Am I crazy? No, I actually don't think you are. I'm also labeling Stroh as a go, and that's not a diss to him. Obviously, Stroman no, good was for him, man. Super, good for him. super reliable for the Mets. Uh, handled everything the right way, uh, especially when you're talking about um, 
how in 2020 you had, oh, there's going to be innings concerns because of the shortened season. Stroh didn't pitch last year, and he went and made every start. He left one start early because of the little hip thing, but then he was fine. So Stroman was reliable. He pitched really well. He obviously is able to handle the New York market as a pitcher. Um, I just think if the rumors are true that he's looking for five to six years at $25 million a year, um, I don't know if that's the right move for the Mets. And I think they need to be finding a more creative way to do this. Uh, as we go on here, what I really want to harp on is if I'm giving up something to get David Stearns or I'm giving Billy Bean a small percentage of ownership or, or hiring one of these very creative guys, like I'm paying them money so that I, I can find the Carlos Rodons who get $8 million for a year and go on and get a borderline Cy Young season. Uh, Robbie Ray getting, a, he might win the Cy Young and he got a one year $8 million deal. So it's not all about signing the multi-year huge money deals. That's really not the best way to build a team. So I'm trying to use the smarts of the front office and saying we can replace Marcus Stroman's production at a fraction of the value of what Marcus Stroman makes. And I, I, that doesn't mean I want the Mets to act like a mid-market team or you know, not spend because you know I'm certainly going to talk about guys that I want to see them spend on shortly. But to me, it's let's be smart with the money here. Like you said, you can't be looking up five years from now and being like, well, we have a bunch of dumb money here. What are we supposed to do about it? Um, so it'd be, it'd be wise, I think, to find an alternate to Marcus Stroman. That's right where I am as well. I think that this isn't a I'm out on Marcus Stroman. This isn't a I, I don't think he has value to the Mets. It's quite the opposite. It's just the fact that because of the way the rest of this list is going to go, I can't sit here and say stay for every single guy. And I like all these guys, but you got to make hard decisions. And I think he is one of them. And I think he's maybe is the most difficult decision. And because of some of these other guys on the list that I do believe should stay, he's a go because I don't know if for the next five or six years he's going to be a number two pitcher. And you're going to pay him like a number one? it's it's tough and maybe I'll be wrong but for me this is the first real really difficult decision of the Cohen era and I'm ready to take the stance that assuming it's out of the range I originally said 4 slash 75 480 it's it's just a no so that moves on to another guy that is another difficult one and this one has become very simple to me and that's Michael Conforto to me, with Conforto, it's offer him the qualifying offer. Hope he takes it. If he doesn't, it's a go. I, I, I'm sorry. I, you know, it's I've really loved watching Michael Conforto play since he got called up here. Um, like I said, one of, he's part of one of my favorite moments I've been at City Field when he hit the two home runs in the World Series game. It, it's just that I'm not paying Michael Conforto to be a twenty-five, thirty million dollar player over the next five to six years. And maybe the deal will be different. I, I don't know at this point. But for me, if he passes on a deal that's almost $19 million on a one-year deal, coming off the abysmal season he just had, where he's a gigantic liability against left-handed pitching, it, it's, it's another tough decision for me, but I, it's another part of the core that I'm ready to, uh, to move on from if it's not the one-year value deal, which is still a lot of money, by the way. But it's it's the term that I'm capitalizing off of with the QO. Right. No, and I completely understand that. And frankly, this is a what I would do thing. I fully expect Michael Conforto to get the qualifying offer, decline it, and go off and probably sign somewhere else in free agency. But when I look at this list, and there's some good players here, uh, to me, Conforto is the guy that, in my opinion, if the Mets let Conforto go somewhere else, that's the guy that's going to come back to bite them, that they let him go. I don't think that for Marcus Stroman, don't think that for Javier Baez. To me, Conforto's the guy that I feel like, yes, he did have a terrible year. There's no question about it. Um, but to me, I feel like I know what I'm getting 
with Michael Conforto. I feel like I know that he's going to play good right field defense. He has a good arm. He's a, a leader in the locker room. He's the reunion rep, so like he's super respected. Um, at the plate, you know, there is obviously some inconsistencies, which is which goes for most players. I mean, certainly when we talk about bias, inconsistency is going to be something that's talked about. But you're dealing with some inconsistencies. But I feel like you know that you're going to get a good on base percentage, mediocre kind of batting average, 25 plus home runs. And to me, I think he makes all the sense in the world on a multi-year deal. Uh, and the qualifying offer to me, you and I talked about this in text message, and I've kind of thought on it and my mind has sort of changed. I wonder if the qualifying offer will impact his market where maybe the money that he thinks he's getting is not there. Um, but I still think it's around $100 million. And if I could get Michael Conforo for five years and $100 million, or a little more than that, I'm signing up in a heartbeat. Obviously, if if it gets crazy, then it gets crazy and you move on. And much like Stroman, you find a different right fielder that can give you some production. But I just feel like Conforto's the guy that would go somewhere and just go back to being the Conforto he's been for his whole career. And uh, Mets fans would be like, damn, wish we still had him. Yeah, I think your your pitch makes sense where you're kind of capitalizing on his bad year for the long term, where I am essentially playing it scared, where I, I just want the one-year deal to hope that, you know, to see that last year wasn't a fluke, and, and then you get the one more year out of him, and then hopefully by then you have a plan for right field, assuming he would get paid a gigantic amount of money after a bounce back 2022. You're more in the middle where you're saying last year might have been fluky. You're still going to pay him a lot of money, but this is still a way to capitalize on getting him for, you know, you know, five years, $20 million per year, rather than what? We've seen six, seven-year deals, $150 million oh. a year. It's a big yeah. difference. Think about it. We were talking in the spring, don't sign George Springer. Or, you know, the reason they didn't sign George Springer was Conforto. because Conforto, and he was going to get at least Springer money, if not more. If there's an opportunity that I'm getting him for less than Springer money, I think that makes a lot of sense. It's tricky. It's tricky. And the next guy we go to is probably my reason for a go on Stroman, part of it, not all of it, and a potential go on Conforto unless he unless he takes the one-year deal. That's Javi Baez. And for me, this is the, my most firm stay on the entire list. Um, besides one other guy we'll get to later that might surprise you, I feel very, very um, compelled to and, you know, strongly about staying. This is a chance to do something kind of special to me, and that is have a pairing of Francisco Lindor and Javi Baez up the middle in City Field for the you know the next half a decade with these two. You know, Javi turns 29 in December, so he's still a, a pretty young player, uh, a very athletic player. I know the strikeouts are a problem, and I'm not one of those people that thinks everything's fixed with him because of the 47 games he played for the Mets where he had a 371 on base percentage, which is just astronomical compared to his career numbers. But I think Javi feeds off the energy in New York. He's a gold glove caliber player. The middle of that infield would really help out a pitching staff with those two guys and how special they are. And I, I really think Javi's a great baseball player. And I think Javi has an element to his game that the Mets simply do not. And that is an aggressive play-to-win-the-game approach on the base paths that these guys just don't have. And I think it wins you games. I really do. And I think with Baez, once again, maybe like Stroman, maybe I'm reading this wrong, right? Maybe I'm over-projecting Stroman. Maybe I'm under-projecting Javi Baez. I don't think Javi Baez is getting, you know, what Carlos Correa is going to get on this open market or Corey Seager or things like that. I think the Javi Baez deal will be a pretty big one, but I think it'll be manageable for a team that has money to spend. And I think he's worth every penny to this New York Mets team for the future. So I've sort of turned my opinion on Baez a bit. I'm starting to recognize the positives that he brings to the table and uh, I, I do think it's a winning type of player, and I think the Mets really do need players like that. Um, I'm obviously concerned that he's 
going to get his five years, six years, whatever, like long-term deal for 25 plus million a year. And he's just going to fall back to being, you know, a 230 average, 290 on base, got power, can run a bit. But that's not really him defense. though, honestly. Even at like his, you know what I mean? Like he's a guy that in 16 and 17, he hit 273, which is kind of funny. Same average both years. Full sample size, full season. Then 290 in 160 games, 281 in 138 games. I really don't think that's him, Joe. I think he he has a reputation because his strikeouts are so hilariously bad that it's almost exaggerated at this point. That could be true. I mean, look. I mean, they're uh, hilariously yeah, bad. Right, for sure. And at the end of the day, if you told me that I had to bet on who, which I can kind of almost do in Connecticut now legally, <laughs> um, <laughs> But we're getting there. But uh, with um, Baez, I would certainly bet that he will be back with the Mets. Um, so I'm marking as a stay, not only because I think it'll happen, but I do think he is a good fit for the club. Um, I'm worried about him as a long-term investment, but he could be a guy that I could look at as if you're giving him the five years, you're looking at him being you know, of major impact the first three. And if that's the case, him and Lindor up the middle – you know, that could certainly be the start of something special. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun, man. And I, it kind of feels like, in a way, how Cespedes felt after he opted out, where you're like, man, they better get this done. The fans want them to get this done. They know they need to get it done. You know, and maybe a new director of baseball president and op- the president of operations doesn't give a you-know-what and does whatever he wants. But this feels like one that would be a big disappointment if they don't get it done. So... It's tough between those three. Those are like the three, right, that you look at and go, when the news drops of whatever they do, Stroman, Conforto, and Baez, it's going to be a really, really big deal. And now we get into the more role-player kind of situation, starting with Jonathan VR, who, you know, this is, for me, the hardest one to actually sit here and give you a stay or a go. Like with Stroman, for me, it's a go. Conforto, it's a qualifying offer or a go. Baez, for me, no matter what, it's a stay. VR to me is a stay, but I, I honestly, honestly, there's times where you just have to be as much as we love to analyze and, and really think we know what we're talking about on these mics, which I think fair enough. So plenty of times we do, I have no idea what his market is going to look like. Like literally can't even begin to tell you what his market is going to look like. Is it two years, 20 mil? Is it one year, 12? Is it three years, 35? Like, he, I don't know. Jonathan VR is going to turn 31 years old next May. He plays everywhere in the infield. He runs really well. He's got pop. He, you know, struck out a lot last year. His OBP is not really great, honestly. He's, to me, the perfect super utility guy, but he's not somebody I pay like a starting player. And I have no idea how this market is going to treat him, Joe. I, I hope the Mets can go back to what we said, what, a week or two ago? Just rock out on the one-year deal market, even if you juice up the one-year deals. And I hope that's what they can do with VR. Yeah, I, I agree with you as far as confusion on what VR's market is going to be. Um, you would think he did have a good year for the Mets, that he should be in position to get you know, real regular at-bats somewhere. And are the Mets able to offer that? Maybe. I mean, if you want to commit to VR as your third baseman for now, uh, you could, you know, like you said, load up a one year deal and say, hey, one more year, you get to be our third baseman. And then if Beatty or Vientos force their way in, you cross that bridge when you get there. Um, To me, you know, this may sound kind of silly, but when VR wrote that like love poem on Instagram to New York and like grateful first time. Oh, Go on his Instagram. I have no idea what you're talking about. So he wrote like this long thing about like how great it was to be in New York and yacht. Like it sounded like a like a goodbye letter. Um, so I don't know if I should read into that or not. But uh, his market's gonna be interesting to follow. And if I'm able to get VR back on a one year deal, I'm game. Um, but I think at this point, he's probably searching for that multi year deal with some guaranteed of of playing time. And I don't know that the Mets could offer that. So I'm just going to say, find this year's Jonathan VR from somebody else and a go. 
Yeah, I think that's a good take. I, I do. As much as I, I want the guy to stay, and for me, he's to stay and find a way to get it done. It, it wouldn't. Sh- it's not one of those where, like, if you don't get it done, it's like, oh my god, they blew. Like, yeah. you're right. You you got to replace that production in a cost effective way. If if he, for me, with VR, it's all about term. If he wants a two or three year deal because the guy's played on ninety teams in his career, man, good for you if you can go get that, and I'll be happy for you. But if I'm the Mets, I'm not doing that. But I would love to find a way to make it work on that one year deal. Okay, now this is where it gets really interesting. The three guys we have ahead of us are not free agents. So with all the other players we've gone through, it's really like the Mets are going to have to be aggressive to get them to stay. This is the opposite where the Mets can really take the approach of we have no urgency to move these guys where we're not going to get robbed for a deal, but maybe they can be a piece to make something happen if you do let a Stroman walk and you need to trade for a pitcher. So Dom Smith, let's start with him. Um, this is the only one on the list that is not a stay or a go for me. It's right down the middle, 50-50. With Dom, love Dom. Uh, great glove at first that they never utilized because he, he can't play there with Pete. Maybe the DH changes that. The bat just fell apart, really, this year, and the pop especially. He's so cost-effective, though, that I'm not really jumping on the phone to give him away, right? Well, he's going to make like $3 million this year, estimated. He is cost controlled. He's a young player. I just want my thing with Dom is not to give it away. For me, JD Davis is the most obvious go man without a position. Because of Pete, Dom has also become a man without a position. You can't have two of those guys. JD Davis is the absolute go for me, which maybe opens the door for Dom as a part time player, depending on what you do in free agency a guy that just rakes against left-handed pitching or did rake against left-handed pitching last year. But at the same time, if he's the piece that a team wants, right? A team that says, man, we need to upgrade first base. We, we really, we believe in this guy because some teams really do believe in struggling players more than others. It wouldn't hurt me if they use him as a legitimate piece because Dom Smith has more value than JD Davis. I totally agree on that point. Um, To me, Dom's a go. Uh, and it's he showed that he's not a left fielder. Um, he certainly tried. I give him credit. He put as much effort as he could, um, but you can't put a square peg in a round hole, and that's what Dom Smith in left field is. Uh, Pete is – I know that we've talked about, oh, the DH comes, Pete could DH, Dom could play first. Well, Pete doesn't want to do that, uh, at least not on a full-time basis. And to be honest with you, he was – overall fine at first base i don't yeah, think fine. i don't think he hurt you there um and the last thing i really want to do is kind of tick off my young homegrown star and be like well tough crap you got a dh every day um he said he's willing to obviously to give guy breathers or whatever but uh becoming a full-time dh is not something pete wants to do and to me that kind of writes dom's fate and I don't really want I don't really value him highly as just like a bat off the bench and with his controllability I think you're going to find some of those small market teams that are willing to take that shot and realize the skill set that 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 Dom does have and maybe you're not maximizing what Dom's value was whereas like if you traded him last winter you probably would have gotten more than this winter uh but if you're looking at potentially letting Marcus Stroman go, potentially letting Michael Conforto go. Like, are you going to fill every hole through free agency? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, third base could certainly be open if, you know, if they go with me and they don't keep Jonathan VR and, you know, we'll talk about J.D. Davis in a minute. But if third base is open, that's potentially, you know, three spots that need to be filled. And sure, they could fill them all with free agency. But maybe Dom Smith is someone that, you know, a team wants and is willing to give up a third baseman to get or Dom and something for a starting pitcher that, you know, really fills in that middle of the rotation. So to me, Dom's a go. Um, and you know, you just have, you have to fill another hole, I think with, with him. And, you know, something else that we haven't discussed a lot of as much as the trade value for guys like Dom and JD is kind of nuked, right? It's really fallen off a cliff. They still have value if you're maybe taking on an expiring contract, right? Like, there's going to be teams that just want to unload money of players that are on their, you know, last year of a big deal or last two years of a big deal. And maybe that's where those guys get involved that are still serviceable players. 
because with with Dom and JD, it's like they they kind of don't fit here. Like you said, Joe, that it's it's really tough. Maybe they do fit somewhere else a lot better. Um, all right, so we'll we'll jump to JD. This is the most obvious go. Uh, man without a position. I know he was playing hurt last year. It definitely affected his bat. But it, whether his bat comes back to the way it was or not, uh, it's it's over here for me. Yeah, I, I don't. I mean, I like JD. He seems like a great guy, good clubhouse guy, and like he's a guy that you look at his stats and you just don't understand how they're good because it feels like he wasn't hitting, <laughs> but his stats were, you know, perfectly fine. So hopefully with that control, um, you know, maybe there's a team that has interest in that bat and thinks they could get more out of it. To me, he's he's definitely a go. Um, and, you know, what it comes down to here is I'm looking at this roster and I'm realizing that things simply have to change. Uh, you can't bring the same band back every year and expect different results. And does that mean, you know, you're getting the best deal in the world for J.D. Davis? Maybe, maybe not. But uh, the last thing you want to do is hold on to someone too long. So I think J.D.'s a go. Yeah, not much there. All right, the last one for me, or for us, and for me this is a big stay, is Jeff McNeil. And this was the one I was saying earlier that I I really feel strongly about. This team, right? So you got to all look at things with a wide lens sometimes. Like you could sit here like I did and say, Javi Baez needs to stay no matter what. Okay, well now how are you going to construct this lineup that plays to your players' you know, strengths and weaknesses. And Jeff McNeil, when right, and let's not just do the whole, well, we don't know if he'll be right because there's three seasons before 2021. This guy hit 329, 318, 311, and got on base between a 381 and 384 clip those years. And 2021, injured, frustrated, all kinds of problems. Jeff McNeil is... is the real Jeff McNeil is what this team is an aspect this team needs. A contact guy, a guy that is a hits machine, a guy that is an on-base machine, a guy that can, you know, drive in runs, get on base, get the big hit. And I know he had a really bad year and it was frustrating, but Jeff McNeil is not somebody you sell low on. He's not. He's under team control. He's not a free agent till 2025 when he'll be like 33 years old. You have him cost-controlled during his prime because he came up so late because he had injuries in the minors that this is one for me. You bet the house on a bounce back. You just do. You bet on it. Do you bet on it with JD or Dom or even Conforto? I'm not there. With Jeff McNeil, you're not paying him or forced of making the decision to pay him like a star or even like a good player. You're paying him nothing. I I think... He will get back to maybe not being, you know, a batting title contender in this league, but can he hit 300 and fit the lineup of the kind of player they need? Absolutely. McNeil's an easy stay. I mean, like you said, the cost control uh, is obviously huge. The versatility, I think, is going to be what's really big. Um, He could play second. He could play third. He could play left. He could play right. And how many of those positions did we just talk about might be open for this team? So you have the flexibility, hey, if we can get a third baseman, then McNeil could play left. Or if we get a left fielder, you know, McNeil could play third. So he gives you options with his versatility. And, I mean, all you have to do is look at his career. 2018, 329 average, 381 on base. 2019, 318 average, 384 on base. 220, uh, 2020, 311 average 383 on base so i mean this is a guy that you know granted it was parts of two seasons and a full season this is a 300 plus hitter with 380 plus on base even if that ends up being more you know 275 280 average and 350 360 on base that's plenty good enough uh mcneil's an easy stay and like you said he's a guy that you would bet the house on a bounce back from like i'd be shocked if jeff Jeff McNeil just magically lost the ability to hit. Me too. Me too. He's just, he's the one that it makes the most sense. And you know, you know how this goes there, you know, there's a chance that God, maybe JD gets back to the 22 home run season. Yeah. In 2019 or Dom Smith plays every day and has a really good year for someone. But the, when you 
evaluate the entire package versatility, like you said, and they're going to need it really badly. The type of hitter he is and the track record for, you know, the three years before last year, Jeff McNeil is definitely the guy that just, if he fits, he, he fits in the puzzle more than the other guys. So, uh, would love to hear everyone else's thoughts, you know, on that whole segment of, of if you feel differently, is there somebody that, you know, we said should go and you, you are paying no matter what, or maybe the opposite, maybe not everybody wants, you know, Baez getting that big deal or, or, you know, how you feel about Conforto and of course the trade eligible guys. So get on team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. That's $200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action, including the men's basketball tournament. If you bet at least $500 during the first and second round of the tournament, you can get a trip to the five-star rated Win Las Vegas. Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. No matter how the last game went, anytime you take the field, you've got a shot at greatness. Give your team the best shot at winning by recruiting more MVPs with Indeed. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. Because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Start hiring right now with $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy. And Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and condition apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Mailbag time. Got a couple questions here. The first one is from iTunes. Thank you to Chickaboo. Uh, very nice. Very nice. Thank you for the review. The names on here are just always hilarious. So, all right. Chickaboo says, best case, is there any chance we see Francisco Alvarez in 2022? Take it away, Joe. Negative. Um, there's no chance. Uh, I don't think there's anything he could do um, just because of the position he plays. As a catcher, um, you know, when we talked to player development lead uh, Jeremy Jeremy Barnes, yes, always always fact-checking myself that I don't call him Jacob. Uh, when we talked to Jeremy Barnes, you know, he said, obviously, Alvarez had a fantastic year. We're very happy with his growth, uh, but he still needs growth behind the plate defensively. Uh, still needs work on blocking balls. Still needs some work with his receiving. Like, he doesn't have issues with those things but it's just things he just needs to continue to grow at um and as a catcher you have to be you have to be smart because they have to be able to manage a whole game it's not like a shortstop or a second baseman who just comes up and they stand there and wait for a ground ball to come their way or a pop fly alvarez would be involved on every single pitch with every single pitcher he's got to be able to call games minute you know move players so he has to tell players where to stand it's there's a lot that goes into catching. So I think that kind of slows down the development path a bit. Uh, as long as he keeps hitting, though, I, I do think you're looking at maybe a late 2023 arrival. Uh, but he's a guy to be beyond excited about uh, all star potential. One of the best prospects in baseball and not even just at catcher, just one of the best prospects in baseball, period. Yeah, it's a good point that, you know, we get, I know I do, get so caught up in watching his highlight home runs every night on Twitter that you forget the other such vital aspect of his game that needs to develop as a teenager, right? He's such a young player, and now he'll be, he's in his 20s or will be in his 20s going forward. Such a young player that you just you can't expect a 20-year-old kid to come up and catch Jacob deGrom. You know, it's it's not... It's not fair to him, and it wouldn't be fair to the pitching staff. And he's going to get there, and I know that you've said um, they've been happy with the progress he's made down there doing that. And it's it's just a blessing that he is uh, such a special hitter that we're even having this conversation, right? Because 
guys like this, and you could speak to this better than me, Joe, but catching prospects like this just don't seem to come around very often. They do not, and they certainly don't do it at 19 years old. Like, we have to remember that about him, too. He's not 21 years old where it's like, oh, you know, how long is this guy get? He's 19. So uh, he's exceeded my expectations for sure, uh, but he still has room to grow, and, you know, he should, in my opinion, spend all of 2022 at Double A Binghamton and, you know, just continue to grow behind the plate, and hopefully that bat continues to the continues the rake against older competition because at that point uh, I think I saw I think the stat was he'll be 20 years old in double a and the average age of the pitcher he's going to face is just over 24 years old so he's gonna be facing people four years his elder so it'll be certainly a test for him but I I do think he's up for it yeah with that kind of talent jump there's a chance that you know, he might not even really be figuring things out down there until July or, or something like that. It's just, it could take a while. It's a huge leap. And you just have to hope that he can keep it going. And then maybe 2023 really becomes a conversation, which would be uh, something special with a, at the time, he'll be a 21 year old catcher. So the next one from CH Mets 09 Would you be more likely to sign a free agent with a draft pick attached because the Mets should get a compensatory pick for losing Michael Conforto? That would be a no for me because the Mets' um, ramifications would be losing, I believe, a pick in the teens compared to the pick they get back is not even close to that. Do I have that right, Joe? So if we were on YouTube right now, which go on YouTube and subscribe to That's So Mets on YouTube, you'd be seeing me doing two thumbs down. Um, the So, yes, the Mets would forfeit the 14th overall pick in the draft if they were to sign a Carlos Correa, Corey Seager, one of those guys that get a qualifying offer. Um, whereas with Conforto, it's going to depend. It depends on a couple factors with, you know, going over to luxury tax and, and different things like that. But the expectation would be you'd get a pick sometime after the second round. So you're talking in like this because there's a compensatory round or two with uh, competitive balance picks for like the small market team. So you're probably looking at a pick in like the seventies or eighties. Um, so it's not exactly, you know, quite the trade-off. Yeah, that's where I was. And honestly too, yeah, I know me and you have kind of become the draft pick police. I know that a lot of Mets Twitter probably doesn't agree. Uh, I'm comfortable with the free agent pool of guys that don't come with a, you know, losing a pick. Um, I'm okay. I think there's plenty out there that you can navigate around that, right? There, and, and yeah, start, there's, yeah, there's no reason. To me, there is no Exa reason exactly. to do it. No reason. You could keep Javier Baez and yeah, yep. it'd be really sweet if you remade Team Puerto Rico for the World Baseball Classics infield oh, with Lindor, Correa. Yeah, if you have to see that damn picture. But like, also the Mets aren't going to give Lindor $34 million a year, Baez $25 million a year, Correa no. $30 million a year. Like, I understand Steve Cohen's rich, but we all have to take a step back and realize like if that, that's just not a sustainable model, um, it doesn't mean they're like they're going to blow past the tax. Uh, I, I put the numbers out with the arbitration estimates like before the Mets do anything, their payroll is like one hundred and eighty four million dollars with arbitration guys and, you know, who they have under control. So that's not counting like a qualifying offer to Syndergaard, which I fully expect to happen and have that accepted, which would then put them over 200 million. And they still haven't addressed Baez, still haven't addressed Conforto, still haven't addressed Stroman, uh, still haven't addressed anyone that's not with the Mets right now that's going to be next year. So they're going to blow past the tax um, regardless. But I think they need to be smart because the reality is unless the system drastically changes, every three years or so, you have to get back under the luxury tax. Like the penalties get just out of control to be over the tax. So every three years or so, you see it with the Dodgers, the Yankees, the Red Sox. You'll go over for two or three years and then you go, all right, now we have to get under for a year. And then you reset your tax back to beginning and then you could go back over again for two, three years and you hop back under. So uh, having a smart, smart people in the front office that can map out these salaries long term, I think is obviously going to be crucial. Yeah, and you can kind of see why this would be like a big year for the Mets being over, obviously, in the year following that. The Cano money is that thorn that when that frees up, that might give you a chance to get back under in a couple of years. So it's, you know, it, there are waves to it where, 
you know, once again, you and I have really preached the concept of big time one year or maybe now it's even two year deals that they don't care about because they know after 2023 they'll dip, they'll dip back under. Um, yeah, so it's a great explanation because there is a lot of different variables to it. And you can't just be you can't be God of baseball and just, you know, have an eight hundred million dollar payroll every year as fun as that would be. Yeah. And, and if, as deserving as we are after the Wilbon right. era, I think. <laughs> and if you look at the way the Dodgers are built, like we're going to I'm going to harp on the Dodgers a lot because who knows? The Mets front office might be Josh Burns at president and Brandon Gomes as GM two Dodgers guys like that's not impossible that that ends up being the case. Um, if you look at the Dodgers model. It's really not go spend a bunch of money on outside players. Like if you look at their, no. like obviously they have Mookie Betts. Um, they made the trade for Scherzer, and you know, but that's short term money. That's just you know rental stuff. But for the most part, like it's homegrown guys, and then those guys get paid, and you supple and you build up the farm system, which that's a, a little feather in the hat of Josh Burns. If the Mets were to end up going that route, uh, player development and drafting is his forte. And the Dodgers constantly are churning up prospects. So uh, that's the model that you want to get. Build up the farm, bring guys up, develop your own stars, pay your own stars. And, you know, over time, you know, you you pick and choose when you crush in the free agent market or trade market. Like the Lindor comes about, you go ahead and you do that. Or, you know, in the Dodgers case, Mookie Betts came about, so they went and did that. But the last thing I want to see the Mets do is just every year act like a bully in free agency and spend all this money. Like that's just that's just not a sustainable model. And frankly, that just isn't a model that wins in baseball anymore. That won in the 90s. That doesn't win in 2021. I mean, yeah, there's plenty of proof to it, right? And it, yeah. having the ability to go, you know, do what they did with Lindor and, and you saw what the Yankees did with Garrett Cole, which I know yeah. not, you know, things like that, it's, it's amazing to have that ability, right? That, and there are times to pounce, but you can't live that way every year. That's that's what Steve. That's what I want of Steve Cohen is when the right opportunity is there, be able to pounce on it. But let's not worry about the fact that everyone, you know, wants you to build this super all star team and spend this and spend that. Like that's how you just don't have sustained success. And frankly, if the strategy is just to go nuts spending money just hire me and Connor to run the team because I could spend Steve Cohen's money. Yeah, I could yeah. do that. But if you want any, you want someone to be creative and, you know, like we said about Stroman and Conforto and guys like that, it's like, all right, well, we're not going to pay Stroman $25 million a year. Who is the who is this year's Robbie Ray? Like I'm paying David Stearns or Josh Burns all this money so that they are finding this year's Robbie Ray. I'm not paying them to spend Steve Cohen's money. I mean, listen, dude, it makes a ton of sense, and it, you're going to preach it every week um, because it's it's the way to, you know, establish a consistent winner. So, all right, last question in the mailbag is from Always Honest Abe. Obviously, we should hire president slash GM first, but if you got the job, what line of thinking would you go with for hiring the new skipper? Veteran guy like Buck, no experience like Beltron or McEwing. So, for me, I actually don't fall on the line of, like, you know, you need a guy that that has experience or you need a guy that's like new blood and who like I, I obviously just a cop out answer. I just want the best guy. But I really do think you got to have a fine balance where, you know, what what is Beltron's experience? Right. What is McEwing's experience? McEwing's been a big league coach for a while now. Beltron counting his veteran years as well, was basically a coach in those dugouts. So I think it's the kind of guy you hire. Now, I don't want, you know, a real old, not washed up because that's not fair, but a past his prime manager. I, I don't need that right now. I, I was a big fan of the Beltron hire when it happened. It's a shame, you know, how everything went down. Um, I really tried to give Rojas a fair turn at this thing and, and think he was better than people thought. But I understand why things went down like they did this last month. So for me, it's not, I'm not fixated on like, would I love to get a Bob Melvin, right? Like a guy that is not only experienced, but a guy that I also think fits the mold of New York and, 
young enough where he's not it's not like watching Tony La Russa out there you know and I know the White Sox had a good year but that's just a sick team um I don't think there's some clear-cut answer but if I guess if I was just answering it in the way he framed it I have no problem with going back to Beltron honestly I, I really don't I think this is a a franchise that has strong connections um with the with Latin players in general um, and I, to me, that is very important as well. A guy that can connect with everyone in the clubhouse. And, and I'm not saying you just get a Latin guy because they're the only ones that can connect with the Latin players. I'm saying you get a guy like Beltron that he played in the big leagues a long time. And, you know, if you read David Wright's book, and I know you did, Joe, like just the way he connected with everybody, like when, you know, when he showed up, he said to David Wright, like, you're working out with me in the offseason. Like a guy that can connect with everyone and can kind of be viewed as that leader of everyone. Um, you know, because it was interesting listening to uh, Curtis Granderson recently talk about, like, how, you know, not broken up, but clubhouses can be interesting. Like, you got all different kinds of groups of players. I think you need to find the right one that can relate to all all the players, and that really includes age, right? The young guys, the older guys, that are respected by the older guys, but can also get the attention of the younger guys that is looked at as someone that had so much success in the big leagues like a Beltron or somebody that's already had so much success as a manager like Bob Melvin. Those are just two names. There's probably tons of guys we can go through like this, but I think it's a very hard question to answer uh, in terms of just like, you know, experienced or not experienced. I think there's so many layers to managers of teams. That's a very, yeah, it's a very simplistic way of looking at it, right? Where it's just like experience or no experience as if, like one is the right side and one's the wrong side. Like you could hire a bad experience manager or a good experience manager. You can hire a bad inexperience manager. You can hire a good inexperience manager. Um, I think the framing of this question makes it very interesting for me. Um, so I am the president of baseball operations. Uh, my thought process, you know me, I'm a big picture guy. I'm not worried about experience. I'm looking for who do I connect with that is going to be with me for years to come? Like, I'm not, you know, this is not a short-term thing. We talked about it last week, how the Mets, when they make these hires, they have to be willing to stick with these guys or girls, whoever they hire. Like, they have to be willing to stick with them for years to come. If they don't make the playoffs for a couple of years, so be it. You have to keep going. Like, that's the only way. You can't keep resetting the organizational plan, like you just can't keep doing it. And that's the Mets have done too much of it. So I'm looking at it from a perspective of what are my philosophies? And I'm trying to find a person that is on the same wavelength as me, because nowadays the front office and the manager are working hand in hand. It's not two separate worlds. Um, we don't want to have a situation where the front office thinks one thing and the manager thinks something else and there's this disconnect like for the Mets to be good the president of baseball operations needs to hire a manager that they know they connect with that they're on the same wavelength about everything and it doesn't mean you know having a manager that just will do whatever I say just you know we have to be able to work together on this and you know I know that's kind of a roundabout answer but you know that's the way I look at it I look big picture Who's someone that fits my philosophies of how I want to build a roster, how I want to play the game day to day, and, you know, him be able to implement that strategy and, you know, have his own input as well and us work together to bring a winner to New York. I don't care if it's a veteran. Like if if I'm David Stearns and Buck Showalter resonates with me, then hire Buck Showalter. If Carlos Beltran or Joe McEwing resonates with me, hire Carlos Beltran or Joe McEwing. Like to me, I'm not so worried about the specific name or uh, you know experience or non-experience. It's just a matter of philosophical connection. Like I know that um, you cover football, so you know bringing it to that world. Like Joe Douglas and Robert Sala, like they're on the same page, right? As far as like how everything should work. Like that's where the organization needs to go. Not so much, you know, I'm up here in my office and you're down in your office and we just think different things and I'm sending edicts to you that you need to answer and then you start resenting me and then there's a disconnect in the relationship. Like to me, 
it'd be a relationship thing. Yeah, and I think I think you put it better than I did in terms of the not going with too old of a manager because I just think there's a huge disconnect in the world of how front offices with analytics departments function hand in hand. And I I I've been very vocal about this in football, and I do I agree with it in baseball. There are times, a lot of times, where you go into something with an analytical approach, and I think that's really good. And I think there are situations that rise that are unpredictable because sports are unpredictable that require, I don't want to say a gut feeling because that comes off as a guess, but an in-the-moment decision where you're not always just basing off everything off of the numbers and sheet in front of you. So I think that balance is key, right? And I think, I don't, this is kind of like maybe ignorant of me or an assumption. I don't think the really, really older managers are balanced with those things. I think they, you know, as much as I love the Mets booth, I think it's the best in baseball. And it's like listening to my favorite podcast every night I watch a game. I, I think, And I think Keith makes really good points about like, don't watch a video in between every at bat and things like that. I think Keith like has a really big, uh, you know, looks like really has a, it almost seems like a problem with analytics in today's game. And I don't really want someone like that, that looks at it in a negative way all the time, because I think it could be really helpful. So I think it's just, it comes down to balance, right? And it goes back to what I said, you know, about finding the right guy that fits the clubhouse. Well, maybe then you involved, honestly, to me, the two most important players of that manager's next five to six years, which is Francisco Lindor and Pete Alonso, honestly. And people might gasp when I don't include Jacob DeGrom in that. Honestly, for me, I would want to know what Pete Alonso and Francisco Lindor think. Pete's been there for a couple of years and is going to be here for a really long time and has embraced New York and thrived in New York as well as any young athlete I've seen in a long time, quite frankly. It's something that we don't talk about a lot because the Mets haven't been in a postseason game with Pete. Uh, you know, for how young he is, it's incredible the way Pete has thrived in that. And Lindor is somebody that's going to be here for a long time and looked at as a leader on the team. So you want Lindor and Pete, I'm not saying to make the hire, but I'd like to hear what they think, right? Like, what do you think of Carlos Beltran coming in here? What do you think of, you know, have you ever met Joe McEwing? Like, you'd be surprised how much these guys cross paths with different people in baseball. So I think this is a really uh, complex process that requires, you know, checking a lot of boxes, but also, you know, finding the right balance in between everything. Totally agree. And when you have those players i know francisco lindor actually said recently i think to the post or something that uh carlos beltran he had a conversation with him this year that helped him through some of his struggles that he was having so obviously lindor and beltran have some level of rapport obviously dating back to the wbc i'm sure um but you know yeah do they know mcewing like joe mcewing has coached with the white Sox before and lindor played for the indians I'm sure he's spoken to him before. Um, yeah, so I think having the players, like you said, they're not making the hire. Like, I'm not saying Lindor, who should I hire? But hey, what are your thoughts on this? And just put it as part of the puzzle. Like, to me, information is king, right? In all facets of, of life. So if I'm making a hire, I'm going to every person I could to ask for their take and just put it as part of the decision process. Francisco, what do you think? Pete, what do you think? Steve Cohen, what do you think? Um, ask friends around the game what they think. Like, ultimately, you know, these guys are friends. Like, they text each other and talk about whatever they want. Like, I'm sure if, you know, uh, they hire Josh Burns or whatever, that, you know, Josh Burns could ask Andrew Friedman at the Dodgers and be like, you know, what do you think about Beltron? Like, what would be your assessment? Like, these guys all know. They know everybody. Like, there's no... Like if you're if you're on the radar to the point where you're going to be a big league manager, there isn't in an executive in baseball who doesn't know who you are. That's just kind of where that is. Totally. I listen. It's I'm excited for this change with the Mets right now because just from the candidate list we've heard them talk about for this job that will ultimately decide who the manager is. I think they're going to kind of fall in line with a lot of the things you and I said, right? They're going to look for that fine um, sweet spot in between of having a guy that, you know, really knows a baseball clubhouse and really knows where the game is going and really knows the day-to-day of, you know, succeeding in this game and, and 
you nailed it, Joe. This market matters a lot. And Carlos Beltran experienced the best and worst of this market um, for the better. He, he really did. He, you know, his start and then how he thrived and big moments. And I know, you know, we often, myself included, think of the worst moment, but Carlos Beltran was a big reason why they were even there. So it's it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. All right. Episode 63. This is a pucky episode closing thoughts joe yeah just uh subscribe to the youtube channel like i mentioned um and leave your reviews and apple reviews for the stay or go segment i want to i want to hear from you so who do you think should stay and go of the players that we talked about so go ahead and uh, leave that in an itunes review and you know we'll read some of them next week but definitely check out the youtube because you know it may not be you know in the next few days but we're getting closer and closer to the new president of baseball operations. And that's where you're going to want to hear our instant reaction when that news breaks. Nailed it. Nailed it. We're just always on, on asking for these iTunes reviews because it's the easiest way for us to curate everything, to be completely honest with you. Yes, it helps the show, um, which in turn, if you like the show and it helps the show, the show is only going to grow and have more resources and get bigger. And uh, Joe and I will, who knows, maybe there'll be a world one day where, you know, I don't, we're doing more YouTube videos or more episodes or whatever it is, but it's been a blast and it'll continue to be a blast. And I don't know, I kind of feel it in my bones that episode 64 is going to have some big news. I, just just a, a weird feeling. I think it times up with the timeline that you dropped. I think episode 64 is going to be uh, going to be a pretty big one. So you're going to want to stick around. Thanks so much, everyone. We'll catch you next week. I'm Amira Rose Davis, host of the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. My white coaches just said, you may not get the scores that you deserve because you're Black. It's the story of a decades-long struggle of Black gymnasts trying to find and amplify their voices. I can't be the next Simone Biles. I can't be the next Dominique Dodds. I can only be the next version of myself. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts.